Welcome to the Biner Family Speaker Series, a podcast dedicated to high-level research on contemporary anti-Semitism by fostering productive and collegial discussion of the most pertinent issues before us. Hosted by the Indiana University Institute for the Study of Contemporary Anti-Semitism. For more information about this speaker series, ISCA News, or videos of past webinars, please visit our website at isca.indiana.edu. And now to present our speaker, Dr. Alvin H. Rosenfeld. Magda, uh, we look forward to hearing your talk in just a couple of minutes. Uh, Gunther mentioned your most recent book. Here is a copy of it. And Princeton University, the publisher, is making it available to everyone who has tuned in. Uh, Gunther can send you the link but it will be available at a generous discount. I'm reading it now. It's a very formidable, very learned and insightful study of its subject. And I strongly recommend uh, you consider purchasing a copy of it. The subject itself uh, certainly demands attention. Anyone who pays uh, any mind at all to the religious roots of anti-Semitism, specifically Christian roots in the Western world, uh, learns a good deal about supersessionist theology as uh, one of the major sources of such hostility. What Magda Tater does in her book, however, is link this theology to both uh, social developments, political developments, and legal developments in a way that, to the best of my knowledge, has not been done before. So the book is a, a very, very important contribution to this subject. I came to know her work prior to that book with this one, an exhaustive study of blood libel accusations and incidents in early modern Europe, continuing well beyond, unfortunately, uh, as well. So we have the pleasure and the real distinction today of talking with one of the leading scholars of this subject. Magda, it's now my pleasure to hand over to you. Thank you so much, Professor Rosenfeld, for inviting me to the series and uh, for letting me speak about my book and also for such a generous introduction. Um, Coming from you, expert on anti-Semitism, that really uh, means uh, means a lot. Uh, so I just briefly, I came to this uh, project um, uh, sort of uh, by accident in the sense that I've been thinking about these issues of anti-Semitism and racism, and I've been teaching a class on anti-Semitism, um, but I was doing other research things and then COVID, COVID hit and I was stuck at home. Uh, reading and thinking about these uh, these matters. And um, one of the things that um, I'm going to share my screen that it struck me um, when I when I uh, started uh, teaching at Fordham and it was uh, just after um, after in, in 2015, but I started teaching a class on anti-Semitism 2016. And um, during the election campaign of the of 2016, and then soon after, um, a, a film came um, uh, by Raoul Peck uh, about James Baldwin. I am not your Negro, and in that is a clip um, James, of James Baldwin uh, speaking um, uh, about um, the Negro problem in America or the Negro and the American promise. And he he um, made a statement that as someone who has thought and taught and and studied the question of anti-Semitism and um, anti-Jewish uh, prejudice and hatred, um, it stood out to me as something very similar. So he... Um, the, the 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 key paragraph here, the key passage is um, is when he asks why it was necessary to have an and he uses the N word, um, Peck uh, and and the film uses the the word that was a, a not an offensive word in 1960s Negro, but he uses very consciously the N word 
um, in the first place, why did what why did they have to create this image of the of the uh, of the N word? It is because I'm not that. I'm a man. If you think that I am the N word, that means you need him. And if I'm not the N word here, then you invented him, and you have to uh, uh, tell us why. And for me, this was the 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 key moment in thinking: Why did the Christians um, develop the Jew that had nothing to do with the Jews? I, I studied as a scholar of Jewish history of Jews, flesh and blood, but this this caricature of, of the of the Jew. And um, and one of the things that uh, I, again, as I as I began to think about it, and I started writing an an article that then grew. Uh, beyond being an article, um, is that uh, in the discussion of racism in the United States and in the discussion of anti-Semitism, the two usually do not, the two fields do not talk to each other. Um, there is an acknowledgement that anti-Semitism and racism coexist and sometimes overlap. We've seen it certainly in the last few years, uh, but but there is no real kind of deep analysis. So I began to think about why this Baldwin quote and some of the, the parallels uh, were uh, were so stark. And I started sort of jotting down the parallels and 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 it and it became very interesting to see how similar tropes are uh, developed against Jews, obviously much earlier. Um, as they were later developed against Black people. Jews were cursed by God, like Cain. Jews were cursed by God. The idea of Cain or Ham is used um, against Black people. Um, Jews were inferior to, uh, by God's will because they were rejected. Um, and then the inferiority was also divine will, uh, will in justification of slavery. Um, but one of the one of the very stark uh, items, and again, I think that also comes up in that in that quote from Baldwin, was that both in, in case of Judaism in the, in its, uh, and Jews in its history with Christianity, is that Jews became the contrast figures so needed by Christianity and uh, for the development of Christian identity as not Jews, as not Judaism. Um, and and the same thing in terms of American construction of race, uh, black people become the contrast figures to uh, to white identity in 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 that uh, way. And then again, it becomes part of the law, and it becomes part of of of, of culture. And the other thing is, um, what struck me uh, again, we we know that from um, African American history and American history. Um, that the history and the role slavery plays and its le long legacy of that. Um, Jews, of course, were not slaves, uh, but in from the earliest days of Christianity, a language of servitude and, um, and even slavery had been used uh, to describe Jews and Jewish Jews and Christians and the relationship between Christianity uh, and Judaism. And then there are all these other parallel um, uh, tropes that Jews are lazy and unwilling to do physical work because they benefit from Christian exploitation. Here is um, the, the same idea of laziness, but different motivation coming in the context of, of Black people. They are both carnal, they are sexually dangerous, uh, Jews are insolent and arrogant. The idea of apathy black person is is also very common. So it became very very curious um, about these parallels, and 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 I, and I thought there must be something more to it that it's not an accident. Uh, so I began to analyze the and the and the one thing that in these different contexts that overlapped was the idea of serfdom of servitude and, and, and slavery. Again, in context of Jews, it was the idea, the trope, the idiom. In the context of Black people, it was actual legal enslavement. But the idea of uh, and what slavery means in power relations and, and in social relations um, 
had I think uh, I had a hunch that had something to do with these with these uncanny uh, uncanny uh, parallels. The the connection between anti-Semitism and anti-Black racism is not the first one I am making. Um, I think it is, a, but it had been sort of abandoned in, in in a deeper analysis. In the United States, there had been certain studies on Black-Jewish relations, but this sort of deeper analysis on uh, the uh, conceptual overlaps and, and differences important too of anti-Semitism and anti-Black racism um, has been sort of um, abandoned. And then we, we, we saw in particular in the um, uh, 1930s, 1940s, especially coming out of the um, uh, of uh, black intellectuals um, responding to what was happening to Jews in Europe, and then uh, W. E. B. Du Bois, who had been uh, traveling, who had traveled to Europe a number of times, and then returned after World War II. Uh, and visited the site of the Warsaw Ghetto, now destroyed with just the the um, moving monument to the ghetto fighters. And he he in his speech, the Negro and the Warsaw Ghetto, he he noted that it, that what he witnessed was not so much clearer understanding, gave him not so much clear understanding of the Jewish problem in the world as it was real and more complete understanding of the Negro problem. And I think for me too, studying the two together um, gave me a clarity over both the overlaps and importantly, also over the differences. And I think um, uh, frequently the conversation about antisemitism and racism um, is paralyzed by the, uh, by the fear of stepping over boundaries or comparative um, suffering uh, or so and so forth. But for me, it gave me clarity about anti-Semitism um, and anti-Black uh, racism as well. I, I, I strongly recommend you watch this film, um, which was made by Lior Horwitz, um, a, a Jewish filmmaker um, about, uh, about um, just after World War II, about anti-Semitism and racism in the United States. And it's a really um, moving uh, film that connects, um, uh, connects the two in a very poignant, uh, poignant way and, and about the, the kind of failed reckoning and why after the war, after all that we've witnessed, um, the, uh, you know, Hitler's voice was still um, heard in American, in American spaces, in American life. And then again, there were other um, intellectuals, both in Jewish and and black journals uh, in the in the thirties, but most importantly after the war, who were um, discussing these these parallels. And then in the nineteen sixties, essentially um, the um, the conversation uh, broke broke down. Um, so so I approached it not with the goal to write a, um, a in-depth history of anti-Semitism and racism. This is impossible to do, but I analyze it through the concept of power and the, the, the idiom and trope of servitude and, and, and slavery. And it really became very clear how, how those, those tropes influence the question and the position and legal and uh, uh, structure of um, uh, and legal structures in Christian Europe and then um, also in its colonies. And importantly, I think um, in the study of antisemitism, we've often um, focused on culture, on religion, uh, but didn't pay enough attention to the to the role law had played in in, in it. And 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 that's what I hope uh, my book will contribute. So. Uh, it, Paul, although we um, he didn't intend to perhaps uh, have this impact and um, this long impact, created a, a set of values. He was uh, influenced by by Platonism, Neoplatonism, and created a set of values of of ideas 
that which he attached to Christianity and then to Judaism. This dichotomy of flesh and spirit against um, law and um, and uh, and promise. Um, one flesh and law attached to Jews and spirit and promise attached to uh, Christians. Um, and the idea that the law and the flesh um, bears uh, uh, holds people in slavery uh, and and he attaches it to the trope of Hagar um, and uh, again Jewish law as the, as Mount Sinai as bearing children for slavery. So attaching the idea of, of slavery to Jews and the uh, the the heavenly Jerusalem, um, in spirit and promise to freedom. Um, so that clearly, in that way, he he at, attached values one positive, one negative, one earthly, carnal, um, uh, one heavenly and uh, and spiritual. Um, by by that again, he created this dichotomy between the two, and then very importantly. He um, he uh, uh, sets up not only the flesh and promise, but also the power dynamic, and where he used um, I'm talking about really God's will and God's election, nothing about the actual um, the actual power structure. Um, the elder shall serve the younger. I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau, and in in uh, in uh, um, uh, Paul's understanding, um, it, it was not necessarily Jews against Christians in, in that way, but he does begin to create this, um, this uh, attachment of Christianity to Jacob and, um, and Judaism to Esau, even though it is not what the, the Bible really says. Um, Augustine, a few centuries later returns to these motifs that come out of uh, Paul and he he writes in a very different moment Christianity at that point is now uh, the religion of the empire and he um he takes it further in associating Jews with carnality Christians with spirit he elaborates on the on the pairs biblical pairs Cain and Abel Cain as Jews Abel as Christians Ishmael Counterintuitively, uh, he attaches to Jews because he is seen, according again, the the legacy of Paul as the child. Uh, he's a, a child of Hagar, the slave woman. So therefore, this is attached to Jews as slaves to the law. Isaac, the child of promise, a symbol uh, of Christianity, and similarly Jacob and Esau. He takes it and attaches Esau to um, as again carnal, earthly to um, to Jews and Jacob um, uh, as a child again, uh, 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 younger and of promise here. But in that moment, in these couples and these pairs of of um, of siblings, each one is elder and younger. Elders are the, the, the earthly and attached to Jews, and younger are the people uh, and the concept attached to, to Christianity. So the verse, the elder shall serve the younger, by that time means the Jews shall serve the younger. And he explained that um, in, in this way, the two covenants, the old and the new. Um, uh, and he says the one is part of the earthly city and the other one, the new, is part of the heavenly city. Um, and thus one symbolizes the servitude of Hagar, who was Sarah's slave. Um, and then the other one uh, symbolizes the free city um, uh, coming from Sarah. So freedom becomes uh, Christianity and servitude uh, and slavery becomes uh, seen as Judaism. And here um, he elaborates on the elder shall serve the younger. And he says, now scarcely among us has understood it to mean anything else than the el elder people of the Jews should serve the younger people, the, the, the Christian people. And that primacy of the elder was transferred to the younger. 
Um, and we, what could be clearer than the reference of these two promises to the people of Israelites and to the whole world and the former according to the flesh and the latter according to the faith. Soon, so this is still within theological realm of supersessionism, but soon it becomes Christian supremacy. And I am very careful to use the word supremacy, not in a sort of meta metaphorical way, but in actually a, a, a legal way, in the sense that um, it's about authority and it's about power and how that theology uh, becomes embodied in, in law. And what we see that the Roman Christian law begins to, um, to uh, is deployed to effectively um, create a, a legal structure, legal structures that apply the theological concerns, not necessarily directly referring to them, but in effect. So, for instance, in the context of this laws concerning slavery, and then slavery, uh, as you uh, no doubt know was common, uh, was part of the uh, system in the social system in the uh, Roman Empire. Um, people bought slaves, had slaves in their households. It was not the chattel slavery that comes in the uh, early modern and modern period in, in the European colonies, uh, but nonetheless it exists. So uh, no one, no, uh, no, uh, no account shall a Jew buy a Christian slave neither shall he contaminate him with Jewish sacraments and convert him from a Christian uh, to a Jew. This is the first time where we have restrictions on, on who can own slaves, and these are laws concerning Jews. Jews can own slaves, but they cannot be Christians. Christians can own slaves, even Christian slaves. So you can see that the, re the, the restriction here is specifically related to the Jews owning Christian slaves. Um, and therefore, it is, uh, it is about a power relation between Jews. Jews should not be allowed to have the, the master relationship uh, with Christians and the, the, the slaves. By the, I'm skipping necessarily, there is a longer discussion in the book about it, but by the Middle Ages, we begin um, to see it also in, in church law and, and in the language uh, that is much more explicit theologically, but also begins to use the uh, explicitly the language of servitude, Jewish perpetual servitude. The Jews who by their own guild are consigned to perpetual servitude because they, they crucified the law. Uh, you know, the, he, the Pope orders the uh, rulers to restrain the excesses of the Jews, that they shall not dare raise the, their necks bowed under the yoke of perpetual slavery against the reverence of the Christian faith, lest the children of a free woman should be slaves to the children of a slave, but rather that as slaves rejected by God, they recognize themselves as slaves of those whom Christ death set in his death set free at the same time that it enslavement. And uh, you know, and, and it should not allow uh, to, to let Jews grow insolent. So you can see these tropes of servitude, of um, slavery, of freedom, of, uh, of Christianity, of Judaism, of insolence or arrogance is uh, 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 all in one, uh, one text. And then it continues in Christian, uh, both uh, church um, legal statements, uh, but also in um, secular or lay laws, imperial and, and royal laws that prohibit Jews, uh, Christians from serving Jews. Uh, and uh, and so on and so forth. And again, you can see the same Jews are consigned to perpetual servitude. They owe, uh, they, they exchange the servitude they owe to Christians for dom dominion over them. They have erupted in insolence, you know, and as long as they persist in their errors, that is in Judaism, they should recognize through experience that they have been made slaves while Christians have been made free through Jesus Christ. Um, 
and that it is iniquities that the children of the free woman that is Christians should serve the children of the maid servant. And, and you can see this, this thing. Jews, again, were not slaves. In fact, they often led quite comparable lives. In fact, the insolence that the Pope uh, refers to means that they dwell side by side with Christians near churches, ha have no distinct habit. Um, have homes in nice parts of town and so on and so forth, buy and possess land and property and so on and so forth. So, uh, so Jews explicitly are not, which is why this is so jarring, because the concept of, uh, of Jewish servitude is already so deeply embedded in Christian conceptions of relationship with Jews and Judaism. Lest you think that this was only a a medieval or early modern idea, I'm here giving you um, the, uh, the example coming from 1945 after World War II in Poland that is clearly uh, uh, referring or echoing those uh, pre-modern uh, theological ideas of Jewish, Jewish servitude. Um, so here is a report of a meeting between Bishop Kaczmarek of Kielce with community leaders who were concerned with that, about growing anti-Semitism and attacks on Jews. This is before the um, infamous Kielce pogrom in which he says, you know, Jews are talented merchants, talented doctors, talented lawyer. Poland is destroyed. It needs strength. Why don't Jews do what they are capable of? Why do they, but why do they engage in, um, in politics? Can you imagine, and here's the key passage, can you imagine what it looks like when a priest comes to the ministry and a Jewish woman is sitting there? God knows from where and treats our clergy with superiority and insolence. What kind of impression does it make? So what bothers Kaczmarek, Bishop Kaczmarek, is Jews in a position of power, right? We often think of the anti-Jewish trope, modern anti-Semitic trope of Jewish power, but that, I argue, um, is tied to the idea of Jewish servitude. Jews in any position of equality or power are seen as um, insolent, uh, arrogant, or uh, usurping that position. So what we what we have here is we have this uh, this theological idea of Christian supersessionism, um, super would give the sense of Christian superiority. It emerges at the time of Christian uh, um, persecution and and uh, on the on the, from the position of weak, weakness, and then with with the rise of the Christian Empire becomes Christian supremacy. Uh, that theology is gradually implemented into law and in and it socially reifies or makes real this idea of Christian superiority, theological and social uh, superiority, and gives rise to the sense of Christian domination, which will become key as um, as as European Christians um, expand later on. So it is also this, uh, displayed in, in, um, and applied in a visual language. Here we have the famous pairs of ecclesia representing the church and Christianity and synagogue, ecclesia, the church and uh, a, a queen, a reigning queen, synagogue, a, a, a humiliated, blindfolded maiden, and again, it, 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 it's ubiquitous in, um, in medieval European art. Um, here is an early modern version of it. Again, Ecclesia, the church on your left, um, synagogue blindfolded um, uh, on, the, uh, on, on the donkey on the, on the right. Um, and then in the early modern period with... Um, the European expansion, curiously, that idea of Ecclesia uh, kind of disappears and he, she is replaced by Europa. Europa, um, Europa Regina, the Queen Europa, um, is a Christian queen dominating here. Here's an, um, a, an, a famous image from Sebastian Münster's Cosmographia. Uh, and you can see it all over. Um, this is again the uh, Europa as a sitting queen, 
uh, with the cross, again, like the Ecclesia affirming Christianity, but what is also uh, disappearing is the synagogue. We no longer have the synagogue. Instead, the Europa, the Christian queen, dominates um, the other com uh, continents, uh, Asia, Africa, and America. Um, all of them sort of displayed at different levels of quote-unquote civilization, a word that does emerge in the early modern period. Uh, and uh, and uh, you can see uh, Asia, the, the sort of most sumptuously dressed, um, is also humble in that kind of position like synagogue and the other ones are um, also looking down and are are showing in, in sort of different levels of um, uh, of uh, clothing um, cl being clothed. And here you have another example of Europa on the far left, and then Africa and America uh, in the um, in the other uh, images. Here is 1709, and by that time we see a racialized uh, Africa. So here you can see um, Africa is still kind of um, uh, looks similar and her face looks similar, but by the 18th century, Africa is racialized in terms of looking more like a, a sub-Saharan Africa and Europa is still uh, the, the Christian queen reminiscent of the Ecclesia. Um, and so, so by that time, we're beginning to see uh, with the um, transatlantic slavery, with the uh, European uh, global expansion and domination, we see the sort of the rise of, of increasingly white Christian identity and domination. And here's an example of a colonial act from Virginia, an act concerning um, servants and slaves. Um, in which uh, you will hear probably an echo of the same, of the Roman law, no Negroes, mulattoes, or Indians, although Christians or Jews, Moors, Mahometans, or other infidels shall purchase any Christian servant, nor any other except of their own complexion. Um, and if any Negro, mulatto, or Indian, Jew, Moor, Mahometan, or other infidel, and, or such, as they are declared slaves by this act, shall notwithstanding purchase any Christian white servant, this said servant shall ipso facto become free and acquit from any service then due, uh, shall be so held, deemed, and taken. So in other words, a freedom is white and is Christian, and uh, any of the other groups uh, may not hold Christian and white uh, white slaves in the same way that in Roman law, uh, Jews could not hold Christian uh, slaves. They can hold slaves, but they're not white and Christian, right? In the in this way. So by the by the 18th century, certainly uh, the uh, Freedom, liberty becomes associated with a white, um, white cr Christian woman. Here is uh, a revolutionary, obviously Christianity and, and French Revolution um, have a complicated rela relationship, uh, but that becomes embodied in that in that way. And also, what we see after the American Revolution is that America changes her race. America becomes Colombia. And it become, she becomes a, a white woman um, a, against that uh, America that was uh, that was shown in the early modern uh, in the early modern images. Um, and again, here you have uh, various depictions of Colombia. So, in contrast to uh, maybe outside, so what we see here in terms of the development of of white Christian supremacy, you needed that idea, that aspect of a real enslavement of um, non-white people, predominantly African um, uh, African uh, Af Africans. So that leads to the development and really a um, um, connection between race and blackness. Um, to justify enslavement, especially in the uh, late 16th and in the 18th century, and the development of um, ideology 
of, uh, of, of racism and white supremacy. So here is a contrast in the way it developed. We have first in the black case, enslavement, uh, then the idea of race to justify enslavement, and then racism and that, that white supremacy, which always retains that Christian aspect of it. Whereas in the case of Jews, it was first an idea from a position of weakness of Christian supersessionism, the sort of replacement theology, then became Christian supremacy in, in case of power. And only then uh, that law became, began to reify, make real the, uh, the legal status of Jews and to reflect that theology. So the, the, the process is somewhat different. In the end, creates that, that notion, the powerful notion of white Christian supremacy, not just white supremacy, not just uh, about race, but the Christianity, it remains very powerfully in that. Jews um, in the in the enlightened period, not only the idea of race uh, and and uh, in, in in attachment to black people is developed, uh, but also race in attachment to Jews. And what we see, it actually comes from the study of religion from the late 17th century through the 18th century. We have books that begin to sort of have a global approach to ceremonies, religious ceremonies. And what happens is that these scholars begin to talk about Jews, but in the context of biblical practices, and therefore they place Jews in the Holy Land in Israel in, in, in what they called then uh, Holy Land or, or Palestine or Ottoman Palestine and, um, and uh, therefore remove Jews to, from Europe and I call it de-Europeanized Jews, um, analyze Jewish practices as they were practiced in the biblical period and therefore, with animal sacrifices, with all kinds of um, uh, details, they begin to make connections with non-European um, uh, uh, ceremonies and practices. Here, I'm just giving an example of a book from 1705 that explicitly compares East Indian uh, practices with uh, and, uh, Jews of the biblical period. And here is an, an illustration of the enchantment of the serpents um, uh, that uh, supposedly was practiced in in India uh, with the uh, you know the Moses and his uh, his serpent and the miracle of the of the staff and the serpent that is the, the uh, discussed in in um, in the Bible. So Jews are effectively de-Europeanized. They are beginning. To, they are Orientalized quite explicitly. Uh, and we begin to see uh, the kind of the, the European identity as white and Christian uh, developing very starkly in the Enlightenment era. And Jews are seen increasingly as from Asia, as Orientals, and as uh, more suited. And these are quotes from Palestine. Uh, and, and more, we see them as aliens, um, as uh, foreign, as not part of European culture, uh, and more in ethnic and racial, uh, described more in ethnic and racial terms. And that gradually uh, comes and it, it gets deployed also in the debate over citizenship, where the Jews, in fact, can become citizens, whether they can be equal or whether they are entirely different. Um, does the law of Moses make Jew, uh, Jew, make it possible for Jews to become citizens? They will never become fully integrated uh, the way that Catholics, Lutherans, Germans, Wends, and French can live together. And again, the implication is obviously that they're all Christians. Um, and you know, Jews will always be foreigners and, and they should not have the quality uh, and the rights uh, of active citizens. Um, and, and some even who were argued, they were questioning and they were asking this question, whether the Jews uh, will be seen as alien residents 
or equal as uh, as Dutchmen on equal footing, um, and whether they can share, share the same rights. And then there were con uh, concerns about uh, being judges and having political power, or whether in fact all that freedom and all that citizen was only discussed for this the the Christian citizens of Europe. So the religious aspect never disappears. And similarly, and this is what is interesting in the debates over in scholarship on Jewish citizenship, the so-called emancipation, um, the, the debates over um, black equality, which were very crucial for, for the French Revolution and for the revolution is, is never discussed. So that um, idea of what it means to be equal um, in terms of also race, and, and religion is, is rarely discussed. And, and we can see that both proponents of, of Jewish equality or Jewish citizenship um, were also discussing the idea of, uh, of, uh, of, of black, free black people, especially free black people, and also the, the question of whether um, the enslaved black people can can be um, made equal. So this these are debates that are taking place exactly at the same time. And um, in response to Jewish citizenship, we have the rise of anti-Semitism and the questioning of that premise of equality. And here is Bruno Bauer from 1843 that uh, who, who questions that the idea of human rights is in fact uh, applicable to Jews or anyway, it, it is really, it was, he says, discovered for the Christian world. Um, and um, the, the inventor, the person who, who coined the term anti-Semitism, um, he affirms that, again that Jews um, belong to Palestine and that uh, that uh, that Jewish um, Jewish emancipation, the essential equality and citizenship did no more than recognize the already existing an alien domination, right? You elect the alien master. So so it, so equality essentially made Jews masters. So it flipped that Jewish servitude, that, that power dynamic that was outlined in both law and theology. And when you make Jew, uh, you make them um, legislators and judges. So the idea of power um, is really, of Jewish power is really a discomfort with equality that emerges from the idea of citizenship. And that is deeply rooted to that concept of servitude we discussed earlier. And here you have von Treitschke, um, Heinrich von Treitschke, a, a historian um, who also embraced the uh, anti-Semitic um, new uh, political ideology. And he uh, pins it down to the moment Jews became equal citizens, the moment emancipation was gained, the Jews insisted boldly on their certificate, demanded literal parity forgetful of the fact that we Germans are, after all, a Christian nation and the Jews are only a minority, as it, it happened, uh, it has happened that the removal of Christian pictures was demanded, even the celebration of the Sabbath and mixed schools. There will always be Jews who are nothing else but German-speaking Orientals. And again, that's the legacy of both the Christian, Christian idea of Jewish servitude um, that they are to be Jews to be on the uh, um, lower status uh, and the uh, enlightenment idea of Jews as Orientals. And two, um, the same if in, in Europe, the debate was over somewhat of a race, but really about Christianity can, can, and, and Christian domination because race was such an important aspect of uh, American legal system, um, the same debates, even the same, who does it, the, who does the constitution and the ideas um, uh, apply to? Who are the we the people in the in the American founding documents? Um, it, it was was discussed, and the first such debate was the Missouri debate in eighteen. 20 in which Indians, free Negroes, mulatto slaves, tell me not, um, uh, Ben Barber of Virginia said that the constitution when we speak of we the people means these, the argument in favor of including the uh, in the class of, of citizens, free people goes too far. It was meant 
to be we, the white people, right? So these debates, who is the we, the invention of citizenship leads to these, um, these debates. Um, and then the infamous Dred Scott case, can a, can a Negro whose ancestors were important into this country and sold as slaves become a member of the political community formed and brought into existence by the Constitution of the United States and as such uh, become entitled to all the rights and privileges and immunities guaranteed by that instrument? And of course, in the Dred Scott case, this was and answered as, as no. And when you begin to see this, you begin to see the, the chronology, the overlap chronology over these debates in both, in both cases. So what we see emerging is we see emerging the ideas of equality and power and the modern idea of equality essentially clashed with the established ideas of social hierarchy that were built on the on the premise of first the Christian domination and, and Jewish servitude and then uh, and then um, the racial domination, white Christian domination that we've seen with the, the European expansion. Uh, modern nation does invent the new we, these debates they're trying to who the, discuss who is the we the people. And in both cases, there is a huge discomfort and, and, and a desire to exclude Jews and Black people from the concept of the we um, and, the, uh, and the concept of equality. Both eventually achieve the, the, uh, the equality de jure, but will always be perceived as usurping that social position that doesn't really belong to them. In the modern times, that inequality is visualized as well. Here you have um, a couple of examples from the United States, uh, United uh, publications of the uh, of uh, the depictions of of like, really caricatures of black people against white people. Here you have the um, the a book uh, the Negro a Beast, um, uh, which argues that really uh, black people are not even human. This is something that Jews until you know the Nazis have dehumanized fully uh, Jews in order to um, to to murder them. Um, were not questioned. That idea of Jewish humanity was not questioned because they were obviously part of the biblical story. Uh, but but in terms of uh, black uh, people, that was that was even debated. So here you have an example of how that um, is depicted in. Um, in um, a ra racist um, racist uh, literature, where there was this this contrast, but note the uh, the features of the uh, how the the white Christians are depicted, and you will see some of that also depicted in the caricatures and the pairings of um, uh, Jews. Uh, and and Christian. So here you have Oliver Twist, the Fagin, the Jew, and you can see the the uh, uh, young Christian girl uh, depicted in very similar features as the uh, the Christian uh, depicted in the racial racist uh, American uh, imagery. So that 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 is visually confirmed. Here you have a. Um, a postcard from the 19 from 1906, a German postcard, and you can see again um, a, a German uh, woman serving Jews. So here you have both the idea of Jews usurping us, usurping their place, um, returning to the idea uh, that was so embedded in law that Christians shall not serve Jews, and you also have that racialization of Jews. They are darker. They are obviously um, uh, caricatured as fleshier. The, the complexion is different. The hair is different that we see in, in here. Um, here is a postcard from Poland that is, again, um, mocking the Jews trying to fit in. And it's playing uh, that the, the suit, the sort of folk suit doesn't fit their faces. And the faces are, um, are again, uh, racialized in, in that way. They are darker. And here you have an example of what the um, uh, contemporary images of the, of the same folk um, dresses would, uh, would look like. 
And then finally, returning to the fact that Jews do not belong to Europe, that they belong to, uh, to Palestine. And of course, today it's the, quite the opposite, where we have uh, um, anti-Israel activists claiming that Jews need to return to Europe because they are really white European colonialists. Uh, but of course, Europeans saw Jews as belonging to, uh, to Palestine. And here is an example of a postcard from France saying that, you know, the Jew, the Jew stands in front of the Ministry of Justice and was just naturalized. And the Frenchman tells him, you can never be uh, naturalized. And then Letcher is black man, um, uh, very similar to the lecherous Jew. And again, they all come at the, at the same time, these uh, anxieties of Jews becoming part of the society in the same uh, way as, uh, as questioning um, integration of, of black people. And here have a couple of examples from the Nazi, um, Nazi uh, Der Sturmer, which also plays on that lecherous Jew um, ideology. So we have similarities. And we have also differences in the positions of power. The, the uh, Jews are always um, uh, are associated with uh, with intellect, with uh, with money, with power. Uh, black people are are seen as usurping the position for different uh, different reasons, and um, and often because they needed help and support. Um, both Jews and Black Americans push back against it through art, through their own uh, photography and their own um, self-respect. Uh, Here you have examples of, of uh, books uh, on J Black art and Jewish art published in almost exactly the same time. Um, 1941 and 1940 and 1938. Um, and here you have another example of art, a visual pushback by a, by a Zionist artist, Ephraim Lillian at the beginning of the, of the century, again, pushing back against these various caricatures of Jews. And today we too have the contemporary echoes. Uh, we, in 2018, NRCC, um, uh, run an ad, which you can see on YouTube still, uh, Connoisseurs of Chaos, George Soros, the founder of the left, and he is uh, perceived as, as the founder, obviously, in a position of power that he shouldn't have, uh, manipulating behind um, and uh, creating chaos. And you have Colin Kaepernick uh, adding chaos, and that trope of uh, comes back to the idea that Black people are not smart enough and they need backers uh, behind. Uh, the same thing is playing out right now, and certainly in New York, this is from April when uh, when Donald Trump was uh, indicted, uh, George Soros funds uh, Alvin Bragg. Of course, we know George Soros is Jewish and Alvin Bragg is a Black American. Um, and then you have here sort of going back in history, uh, race mixing is financed and led by Jews. And Nazis were also um, making the same case. So um, I will stop here. Thank you. Uh, there's much more to uh, to talk about, and uh, but I um, but I uh, you know I, I can elaborate on any of that. But I think uh, I've run out of my time. Thank you. Thank you.